Hello, and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson, and I'm the founder of Core Women, and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Portia Pearson. Her story is about loss, losing a mom to AIDS, foster care, having a child at a young age, resiliency, and becoming empowered through loss. Let's get right into talking about your journey, Portia, and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on. This is an honor, honestly. Awesome. It's a pleasure to have you on and welcome. And thank you for being on the Core Women podcast. Let's talk about your journey. And let's start when you were a young girl and about, you know, finding out about your mom and how you confronted that. You were very young. So let's get into this. Let's talk about this because this is an impacting journey that you've had. Right. Um, Like I said, you know, I mentioned that my mom, she she lost the battle to HIV AIDS. When she lost the battle, I was 20, I would say 22. Okay. And when I first found out I was young, I was eight. My mom was very transparent with me. She pretty much kept me like she was one of those moms where she didn't sugarcoat anything. You know, she wanted to know, she wanted me to know about life and how to protect myself and what to expect and what not to depend on and who not to depend on and all, you know, to basically equip me for life. So she always wanted to show me a first hand of her life about things that she struggled with and things that she overcame. So at a young age, she did tell me that she was diagnosed with HIV and I was eight. So I didn't know what HIV was. Honestly, in my mind, I'm just thinking it was just letters, HIV. Okay. So, and then me knowing my mom, how strong and resilient she was, I just looked at this like, okay, she'll, you know, I never felt like the reason to worry or she never made it to a point that I was in danger or I was going to do anything. She always just kept her composure as this strong, powerful woman. But as time went on and as I grew older and seen a little bit more, I seen how the disease took a toll on her and I would see her question herself. And as a kid, it's kind of like having a a firsthand microscope into another human being's life. So I almost witnessed everything secondhand that my mother went through as far as with family members not taken to the disease because this was I would say back in like 1996-97 so it was more of a a surrounding stigma around HIV and AIDS so it was more like my mom was labeled and she wasn't one of those people that was out there having sex with different people or different men that not that I know of and Mm -hmm. she really carried herself as a respectable woman so when she contracted it it was more like she had to defend herself to her brothers and to her sisters and to her mother and it made her close up to a point where she didn't want to be around because it was more like she was a walking disease, I would say, if she would drink something or, you know, because people weren't educated about the disease, it was more like they would, they didn't know, so they would 
point her out. Oh, she can't, don't have her, don't drink after her or don't, don't have her use our toilet or, you know, and those things would, my mom was very strong to the outside, but behind closed doors, it was more like it, it were replaying her head, like a, a replaying cycle of what did I do? Why did I get this? Why did I get this? I was with him, you know, I would just hear her just saying, God, why me? Why me? I was only with one person. Why would he do this? So it's kind of like it ate her up so much that it took over her mind mentally. And I've seen her had to go through counseling and then not just only mentally, physically with the taking the different medications and just seeing certain things that she had to endure. And like I said, my mom was transparent, but certain things she kept away, I guess to say to protect me. But as a child, you see it all, you see it, but you just don't say. And at that point, I didn't understand what was happening. So I just just went with my mom was doing and trusted that she knew what she was doing, even when we didn't have places to stay at times or even when she lost places or couldn't keep a job because of her health, it just was a lot that I had to go through and not understanding the stress that my mom was under. You know, I was a child and didn't understand. And I guess I just went along with it. All I really wanted was a stable home, you know, and it was more like my mom was up, down, up, down because of her situation. And then mentally and certain things that she went through. So it, it took a toll on her. Right. Absolutely. I would say that that would be the beginning of it. That is some heavy stuff when you have to one, understand yourself, what's happening to mm-hmm. you physically and mentally. That's difficult. But then right. you're getting this imposed judgment from other people and you mm-hmm. also have and people to, that you love that that's supposed to be there to support you was was more like you were a public enemy that she was just crucified like why would how could you let this happen it was more like she was the black sheep after that and she didn't have anybody that would say it's okay it's okay and she really just dealt with that on her own and to some degree it took over her mentally she just thought it was over. And as time went on, she lived with it for a while because she was diagnosed when I was eight and she passed away when I was 22. So she held on. She, she was definitely a fighter, but when you don't have the proper support, you can only fight but so long before you lose the fight. So that's when you need support with certain things that you're walking through because it is a challenging situation when you are diagnosed with something that you know can potentially in your life at that time. Absolutely. So she's challenged by just understanding her own body, the own, her own, you know, physiology and how this is going to impact her both Mm -hmm. mentally and physically. And then to go on and have these outside sources really impose judgment and impact her life and not be a support system and have these messages play in your mind daily, creating a map that says Mm -hmm. there's something wrong, you're disease, Mm -hmm. you're this, you're that. And then having to Mm -hmm. reconstruct that constantly can become overwhelming, especially lack of resources. Now getting to your story, because if you turn the tables a little bit, there's an eight-year-old girl at this point involved and you don't understand what HIV is. 
you don't know. Right. And how did your mom, you know, she was transparent with you, but how did she explain the disease to you at eight years old? I mean, we basically got up as like a normal, regular day and we would run errands and she told me she had a doctor's appointment. So it was just normal. So when she went in, I usually would sit outside and wait for her, you know, to come out. But this time when she was in the middle of the, um, the doctor's appointment, they called me in the room. So me being a child, I'm like, what? okay, this is normal. I walk in and my mom's sitting on a bench and I can remember it like it was yesterday. She was just gazing outside, looking out the window. And I, she says, come sit next to me. And when I sat next to her, it was just like a different look that she gave me that I never seen. It was just like a look of panic. Like if I was, if I can describe it now as me right. being older, you know, it was just like, I have to tell you something. And I was like, well, what's wrong, mom? When she says, well, I have HIV. And I'm like, well, what's HIV? And she's like, it's a disease that can take your mom away. And I said, well, mom, you're strong. You know, nothing can take you away. And she just looked at me and, and, and just held me. You know, she didn't really tell me what it was internally, but she told me that she had it. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like she sat down and gave me a whole lesson about HIV. It was just, I had HIV. And in my mind, I'm just thinking it's just letters, HIV. And I'm like, okay, well, you, you'll get through this. Like, that's all I can say. You're strong, mom. Why, you know, nothing's going to take you away. And that's what any kid thinks, you know, nothing can take their parents away. So I would, I would say me being younger and also me on the other side, having a child, you don't want to, also frighten them with too much so I felt like she gave me just enough because if she would have gave me that at eight like I'm gonna die I don't know how that would have really affected me so it's like she told me what she had but she didn't go into depth it was like more the depth is where I saw firsthand of her having to take medicine and you know, the ups and downs of the medicine so that's what I it's like she didn't explain it was more like I witnessed Right. Absolutely. That makes sense. So as you were aging, she was progressing in her disease process. Now, at what point did you really see this start impacting her? And what point did you, because I know by reading your bio that you had to go into foster care. At what point or at what age was this? Well, when I went into foster care, because my mom, once it started taking over her mentally, when you're mentally gone, it affects everything because Absolutely. physically she still looked the same. You know, it's not like a rapid disease that you, you see right away. So she was actually still in the healthy stages part, but mentally it was taking a toll. It was like she wouldn't have stability. I would say she always moved from place to place to place, whether it was getting a job and stopping a job or getting a job and start stopping a job and then not paying the bills or, you know, just giving up in that aspect because life did become overwhelming. So we would have to move from different apartment, from different apartment. I would have to miss school and have to do this. And, you know, it was more like alarms to the system. And someone had called DHS on my mother because we would be moving, uh, you know, over my, over my years, I had to go to over 23 schools at what, just, wow. just, I think when I went, moved with my grandmother, because when they were about to remove me, 
my grandmother stepped in and she said no she's going to stay with me so when my grandmother let me come stay with her I was already at the 15th school because we didn't move around so much and she would get places and then lose lose places and then have to go into the shelter and it just was like she didn't have a grip and when you don't have anybody that is saying okay what do you need help with what can I help you with it was like she had to fend for life on her own and having a a human being she has to take care of so and then having a, a disease on top of that, yes. taking medicine, trying to battle life. So it uh-huh. literally took a hole over my mother. But at that age, I didn't understand what was going on. If I could place myself back in that age, I just wanted my own room. I didn't understand why we had to keep moving. What is happening? I just want stability. What's happening? So that's when I just, you know, I stayed with my grandmother for about two years. And at that time I was like 12. So my mom, she would, she would get it together. Like she would go into the shelter, she would get her place and then I would come back. But it was getting like a a back and forth thing. And it was a point of time where I said, I'm just going to stay with my grandmother. But my grandmother also had things she battled with that I didn't know anything about until I moved with her. You know, my mom did mention prior that my grandmother was recovering from crack cocaine oh, so wow. when I moved with her it was like she was everything was good but I guess it was like a moment that she relapsed and me being living there she relapsed and it just started and mind you DHS was still in the picture right. so it was like my mom was trying to get her place herself together my grandmother was on drugs I didn't have anyone to talk to, so I told my social worker what was going on, how she wouldn't be here, how she would go days at a time, and I didn't know. I was just a kid, just trying to figure out what was going on. So that's when I told my social worker, and they removed me from my grandmother's home at 14, and that's when I went into foster care. Gotcha. Okay. So what was that at 14? What was that like? Because you said your mom didn't pass until you were 21, around 21, correct? Right. So you still had seven years where she's still here with you. You're 14 in foster care. So how did that work out with your mom being on the outside of your foster care and you being in foster care and separated from any family at that point, right? Right. And, And that's the problem. Me being, when I got moved to foster care, in my mind, because I had, I have uncles, I have cousins, I have aunts, and I just, as a kid, I'm like, okay, somebody's going to come for me. Nobody came for me. So in my mind, I was upset. I was really upset. And when I got upset, it wasn't like I had a meltdown. I, it was more like I wanted to forget them. I wanted to like erase them because it was more like oh they left me okay well I don't I don't want to deal with them at all I don't they don't have to exist to me and far as my mother I was a teenager at that time so I looked at that like I knew my mom's situation and I knew she was doing the best she could she still did what she could with me being in foster care she would come see me on the weekends she would make sure I had things that I needed with what she could provide 
you know, and right. once I got moved and I seen how my mom was just still moving around, I didn't want to have to go through that again. So I made the decision to stay in foster care to say, I'm just going to stay here because I didn't want to keep having to move around with my mom. Right. So I was, I stayed in foster care from age 14 to 18 and my mom, she still was there. It wasn't like she just let me go. It was, she still checked on me. She still, you know, but at that time of my life, I was in the reinvent stage. It was more like when I looked at things that hurt me and I don't, I wouldn't say that it was a good thing to do, but when I looked at things that hurt me, it was more like I not ran from it, but in order to get through it, I would not want to think about it. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to acknowledge it. So I would just act like it never existed right? to and get through makes, and reinvent myself. And that makes sense because it's a protective factor. It's a yeah. way that you can really digest what's happening in your world and also cope effectively with the anger that you have about right. being abandoned to a certain degree. Yeah. You know, right. not having family come and come to your rescue and be of support. So, of course, right. you've got to find a way as a young person, as a person, as a human being to protect your feelings, your emotions. And right. how do you do that? Right. We all do that differently. And you were young and you you were juggling quite a bit, a lot. Right. And so it's nice to hear, though, that there was some stability in foster care, that you at least right. had a place to be. It probably wasn't right. the most ideal, but there was a place for you to be where you could say, this is stable enough right now. Right. And yeah. Then, and then, like I said, you know, my mom was still active. Right. You know, she always made sure that I was like, I would say a go-getter, you know, as I started getting older and I started working, it was more sense of a freedom because I've started working ever since I was 14. I was did youth works. And then when I turned 16, I had a, a job, like a full blown job. Like I would go to school and then work on the weekends. So it was like my freedom. And I knew if I went to work, I could provide my, for myself. So every time I went to work, it was a sense and I got a, my own paycheck. It was a sense of empowerment and it was a stepping stone but, you know, when you are a kid and you're not, you don't have the proper guidance to say, focus on school or focus on this, you know, I, you get caught up in it, like in a guy and, you know, I ended up pregnant at 17. Right. So, so talk about that, that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's so. talk about that and being, being pregnant at 17 and having a child at, at a young age. How yeah. did that work into the whole paradigm of what you're going through at that point? Well, I would say once I got into foster care, it was sense of it was a sense of normalcy. It was like a family, like they had like a large family, so it was more like they were so accepting and welcoming. But it was more like I I was in that stage of still wanting. Like once I got a taste of my own, it was more like I was like doing what I wanted to do. So I was like in my adolescent stage of figuring me out and right. just being reckless. Right. So like I being said, I, I, <laughs> right. I made a mistake and not, not my daughter is not a mistake, but you know, I had my daughter at, got pregnant at 16, had my daughter at 17. I was in the 11th, no, I was in the 10th grade at that time. And it was just different. Like I really, really wouldn't say that I had a hard time with 
the pregnancy part because, you know, my foster mom, she she made sure I was okay. I was stable. My mom, the only person, my mom, she was really upset at me because she just didn't want that for me. But she, after my daughter came, she pretty much was there, you know, every step of the way. And then his parents were really, you know, there in a way to step up. So it wasn't, I would say when I had my daughter, it really wasn't like a terrible time. I wouldn't say because I had people that was stepping up you know I had my foster mom my mom would be there sometimes when she could and then his parents and him they became like a a big support system because we were together so and it was like me and him so he they stepped in and was more like an aid with certain things so I didn't really have to really struggle with my child at that young age like I still was able to go to school I still I finished school and that was the most important part to my mom, me graduating with a child. And I finished, I got my high school diploma and, and you know, still was working and stuff like that. But it just, it just was me still just trying to find my way. Absolutely. And that's, that's just very normal in that, you know, you had so many things to juggle and deal with and confront. And part of being a teenager is, And I wouldn't term it as reckless. I think teenagers are impulsive. We have Mm -hmm. a surge of hormones going through us at that time of age. It happens. We're more impulsive, you know, and we, you know, I always, I always talked about this analogy, you know, about why insurance companies charge more for teenagers, number one, and charge more for teenage boys, because it's a natural part of growing up. It's hormones are Mm -hmm. changing. You get surges of hormone flux, fluctuations, right. and you're going to be more impulsive. You're going to take more risk and more chances. And this is what happens mm-hmm. as a teenager. And then you throw all that other stuff into the mix. And as right. a teenager, you're still learning. You're still growing. Right. So it's part you're still of the learning. learning curve. Yeah. So, you know. And I can say, yep. And I can say my daughter, when I had my daughter and I look at how I grew up, it was more like a oh no, I can't have my child grow up like, like I grew up. So it was more like I had to turn it all the way up. You know, I, I, I finished school and I, I immediately got a job and I was working and just trying to get myself together. And then with my foster mom, to me, we had like a falling out and I, you know, it just went left. So I ended up moving out of there as soon as I got 18. And it was like, I had a baby, I was 18. And then, you know, my mom, she finally had a place, but it was more like I I leaned towards my daughter's father and we, you know, stayed together in his mom's house. And during that time, it just, it was more like another transition period where me and him weren't seeing eye to eye. So it was more like, I would go back and forth between my mom's house and his house, my mom's house, his house, you know, every time we got into an argument. So it was more like still me trying to find my way and he knew everything of my background. So to some degree, he downed me in a lot of ways. Like, oh, well, I'm all you got, or you're not going to be anything without me. And, you know, it was like that stress of it now. And then to some degree, me believing it because I'm like, dang, like who who has been there? You know, his family did step up. They were there for me. But it was like, when I looked at everything that I came from, I had to balance it out. Like, what do I do? And of course, my mom was still there. But I was 18. I I had feelings and emotions and was getting 
bounced back and forth where I went back, went to her, went back, went to her, you know, caught up in my love triangle. Right. And at that moment, I was, what, 20. And my mom saw it and she started filling out apartments for me. So low income housing so I can start having a place of my own and not have to live with him, him and his mom. And she knew she had a one bedroom apartment. Where was me and the baby going to go? So it was more like at that point I had to make a decision to, to get my own place or keep dealing with the negativity with or the fights and the arguments with my daughter's father. Right. Well, and you know, that just says a whole lot when your mom's there and she's getting towards the tail end of how she's doing physically and mentally. And yet Mm -hmm. she's still helping you try to find a place so you can have. She knew what she went through. It was like a cycle. She went in and out of shelters, nowhere to go. So she seen it happening to me. Right. So she was like, I, I, you got to get your own place. And, and I didn't realize why she kept saying it. You know, I guess she kind of knew she wanted me to be stable before she passed on. So right. the moment I got my place, my first place, it was in Southwest. It wasn't nowhere nice, big in Philadelphia. One bedroom, me and my daughter was the most comfortable as we can be. And she started, her health really started failing. So it was more like, she mustered up enough strength to make sure I was okay in my own place. She wouldn't rest until I had my own place. And then that's when she kind of went through her stages of passing away. Wow, Portia. What a story in relation to all that you've been through, all that you you've seen and done as a young person and the resiliency through it all. And also being able to look back and say, through it all, you still had your mother's support. And that's phenomenal. So where are you today? What are you doing today? And how are you raising awareness through about HIV and AIDS? And you have an Instagram site called Pain Into Power. And you've talked about that pain into power, but what are you doing today? Let's talk about that. Well, you know, when my mom passed away in 2011, I was 22 and that was the most devastating part of my life. And I literally went through a tunnel vision of why, like, because I felt like I was finally getting to a place where I was understanding her and wanted to build a, a better bond, you know? Right. And it was like she was taken away. So when she was taken away, I went through a trial of myself of depression. And on the other side of trying to move past this, I dealt with my mother's death as like she went on a a trip and she'll be back. But as time went on, I couldn't do that with her. I couldn't just forget. It, It haunted me. It was more like when her birthday would come around, when the anniversaries would come around, I would really go like ask some of my closest friends I wouldn't be able to handle it I was like trapped in my room just crying all day and uh, I just got upset and as as somebody told me about the AIDS walk at my job and I'm like well what is the AIDS walk so during that time I just started doing research I started educating myself about the disease and I decided to do an AIDS walk for the first time in my life and when I did the AIDS walk 
2013, it was just me and another friend that was really close to me. I didn't really open up about my mom's situation because I didn't want any judgment, especially me growing up and how I had seen judgment on her. I was really close with everything with the HIV. So I just was like, no, I can't do this. So I just took one friend. So I started doing the walks and I looked around and I was like, all these people are affected with HIV. And she was like, well, maybe they lost a loved one. And then I started talking to like one of the directors or the people that were at the tents and they started giving me more education. And I started reading up on it. I went to a couple volunteer groups. And as I started doing it, it was so fulfilling. And it helped me because I felt like I got a chance to help every person that I helped or gave back to with HIV or suffering in some way. I was helping my mother. So each year... I started telling people about it. I was, you know, my just my friends at that time. And then the fifth year of the AIDS walk, I just, you know, people were asking me because they would see photos. Well, why are you walking or do you have AIDS? And I still was closed up. I did not open up about it because I didn't, you know, want to tell my mom's business. That's the mindset that I had growing up. Don't tell your mom's business. But, you know, as I started growing in myself and I said, I wrote a Facebook post and I said the reason why I walk is because of my mother and I opened up of how she lost the battle and I got so much outraining support it was like wow like a door was open I, I felt so free and that fifth year I had over 50 people walk with me I raised almost nice. $500 I just felt so good and um Last year, I had about the same amount of people. I raised even more money. I that was I did my first speech talking about my mom having HIV. You know, it was like each year I'm I'm progressing and and spreading awareness about the AIDS walk. And I started this. This is the first year that I'm starting to open up more about my situation and or situation that I overcame. And I want to help others and who may be going through a tough time because. I can I can relate to all spectrums in a way, you know, being in foster care, being abandoned, being in an abusive relationship, overcoming it all in a way. And now I feel like it's my time to help others because the, all of that stuff, it had to be a reason why I went through all of that. And I'm only 30. I'm not even, uh, I right. just turned 30. So it's like, okay. I got to help somebody. And that's what's enlightened me to start the Instagram page, enlightened me to make the positive messages, enlightened me to want to do more for the HIV community, do more for the youth and, you know, starting my podcast and doing different things on the other side, because I feel like I'm on the other side. A lot of people would have lost their minds with some of the things that they've been, that I've been through. And I didn't, I'm here. I'm raising my daughter. My daughter is She's, she doesn't have to ever go through anything that I've been through. I bought my own house at 26 years old. I, you know, I've been working a job for over 12 years with American Airlines. I've seen the world. I travel. I have a good life. Oh. And now I wouldn't have never thought that when I was in the midst of my struggle. And God brought me out. So he's telling me to bring someone else out. Where's that? You are so inspiring. And thank you. I want to thank you for having the courage 
to talk you. about your story. It is really just so enlightening, inspiring, empowering. And thank you for what you're doing out there in oh. community. I so appreciate <laughs> you. you. So as we wrap this up, and you've already given so much here, I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you one last question. If you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? I would say just keep going. You know, life is going to be some hard times. It's going to be people that leave. It's going to be challenging times that you don't understand. And some of them are not even going to be your fault. But you have to keep pressing on because it's not the end. If it's the end, you won't be here. But you get a chance to wake up every single day. So when you wake up every day, you find a reason to live. You find a reason to make someone else's life happier. You know, you make a difference in the world. We're only here a short time, so we have to leave an impact. And you live on. No matter what it is, you keep going and you never give up. Bravo. So right. You're so right. And thank you, Portia, for joining me on the Core Woman. No problem. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I love Core Woman. I see everything you guys do. I'm just honored to be on the podcast myself. So thank you for having me. I'm certainly honored and privileged to have you on this podcast. So thank you so much. If you'd like to know more about Portia Pearson, please follow her at Pain Into Power on Instagram and DM her should you have any questions. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women Home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.